0: Welcome to Lead On, a program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and it's my pleasure to host this conversation each week about solving the practical challenges of leading churches and ministry organizations. Now, I've been doing this for a number of years. I've been a ministry executive and a pastor and a church planter, and through all of those experiences, I've learned some things about how to apply a biblical and theological worldview from a Christian perspective on some of the practical challenges that we face in ministry leadership. Now, I've recently been reading some studies about the kinds of issues that pastors are facing today, and one veteran pastor said this. He said, The apathy and lack of involvement by people of our church in the ministry of our church is at an all-time high. Apathy and lack of involvement. I want to talk today about how to overcome this trend or overcome these problems in local church ministry. You know, most churches depend on a volunteer army, if you will, uh, to move their ministry along. Uh, About 90% roughly of all Christian churches in North America have an attendance under 200 on a Sunday. While the large churches dominate the news cycle... Uh, It's the small churches, really, that really personify what it means to be an American Christian church. In fact, when you go global, it's about the same all around the world. There's always a few very large churches, but most churches are small. And that means that most churches are going to be uh, led by, powered by, staffed by, mostly volunteers. How, then, do we create a climate in which volunteers are motivated, zealous, passionate, committed, instead of apathetic. Well, let's start by just underscoring from a theological perspective how important volunteers are. You know, the first reason is that the church itself is a volunteer movement. The nature of the church as an all-volunteer organization means that everyone that's a part of the church volunteered to be part of it. No one is paid to join. No one is mandated to remain. It's an all-volunteer organization. A second theological issue that shows us the value of volunteers is the priesthood of believers. Now, the priesthood of believers really has two thrusts attached to it. First, every believer is a priest, meaning they can have direct access to God. And then secondarily, every believer is a priest in the sense that they have a responsibility to represent others before God. And so every believer has this capacity to interface directly with God and to represent others before God. This is not a role reserved for a select few in the church. It's not a role assigned only to pastors or people in that particular office or responsibility. No, all believers have this incredible privilege of access and representation before God. Another theological reason that underscores the importance of volunteers in church ministry is the giftedness of believers. No matter how you understand the concept of spiritual gifts as taught in the Bible, all, all of us agree that all believers have at least one spiritual gift. And beyond those spiritual gifts, there's a distribution of talents and skills and abilities also among believers. No one person is the whole package. In fact, the Bible is very clear that all of us have gifts and that only when we come together collectively and use our gifts with, for, on behalf of uh, one another and also to reach out to other people Are they fully fulfilled? And then finally, and this might not seem like it connects immediately, but stay with me, another theological reason illustrating the importance of volunteers is actually the biblical role of pastors. Pastors are described in the Bible as equippers, as people who have the responsibility to train others to live a life of commitment to Jesus Christ And that includes teaching others theology, teaching others Bible, but it also includes teaching others ministry skills and ways to practically be involved in Christian service. So the fact that God has given the church pastors and given them a narrowly defined role as equippers underscores the importance of all those who are supposed to be equipped. Their value is underscored by the fact that God has given someone in the church responsibility just to facilitate their involvement. So there are good biblical or theological reasons why volunteers matter so much. The church is an all-volunteer organization. It's made up of a priesthood of believers who all have access to God and responsibility before God. All believers are gifted, but beyond the spiritual giftedness described in the Bible, we all have different talents, abilities, skills, and skills. And the Bible says that only when all of those things come together as a whole does the church really fulfill its task and function adequately. And then finally, that importance of the role of pastors underscores the, the, the value of volunteers. Now, having underscored that value for just a few moments here, now let's turn to answering the question more specifically of how can we help those valuable people overcome their apathy and be more committed, more passionate, more engaged in Christian service? Well, to do that, we have to create a climate of motivation. Now, no one can motivate another person. Motivation is intrinsic. It comes up out of us in response to our to stimuli, in response to our environment, in response to our circumstances, in response to our opportunities. Motivation comes up from within us. But we can create a climate for that motivation. Now, two aspects of creating a climate for motivation for Christians. First, Christians are motivated by personal growth, by opportunities to become more like Jesus. And then second, Christians are also motivated by personal contribution, by meaning, by doing work that meaningfully advances Jesus's kingdom. So Christians are motivated by personal growth and personal contribution. And so as leaders, in order to give the Christians that we're working with the best opportunity to fulfill these motivations, we have to create a climate in which they are able to grow personally and contribute personally, growing to become more like Jesus and contributing to the advancement of his kingdom. Now let's talk more specifically about how to do some of that. First, volunteers will overcome apathy when they sense that their role is contributing to their spiritual development. In other words, it's contributing to their becoming more like Jesus Christ. It's contributing to their expansion of faith, to their increasing sense of holiness, to their uh, deepening uh, feelings of commitment. It's contributing to their spiritual development. For example, when I recruit people to learn to share their faith, I don't use guilt or something like that to try to motivate them to be more active in sharing their faith. Instead, I say, let me tell you stories about how sharing my faith has grown me personally, has helped shape my devotion, has given me experiences with God I've never had in any other context. You know, there's, there's something about hearing how taking the risk of sharing your faith grows you personally, changes you internally, makes you a better Christian that really is motivational to people who hear, uh, who receive this kind of training or who, and who are challenged to engage in this kind of ministry work. And so rather than using guilt as a motivator, I want to use stories of personal growth, personal discipleship, and personal change to help people understand how to find motivation to do this important thing of sharing their faith. Uh, Another way uh, that this shows itself is by helping people to understand that their personal growth uh, through volunteering will be be seen in the overcoming of the challenges they may face, even in the task. I once worked with a person that was being recruited and trained to teach children. And he said, I I don't know if I can even do this. He said, "I, I don't feel comfortable talking in front of others. Uh, I am not very, uh, uh, aware of how children communicate or think or feel, but he really had a, a strong desire. He had, he had children. He wanted to see the children's ministry, of the church thrive. He wanted to learn and grow and develop in this area. And he said, I, I want to give it a shot. So he started into the training and he started doing the work. And then he started telling me his stories. He said, man, I'm praying and I'm seeing God answer my prayers to give me strength, give me guidance, give me direction, give me insight. I'm working with children and trying to reach out to their families, and I'm seeing God give breakthroughs as families are coming to church and adults are coming to faith in Christ and children are starting to seek or ask questions about what it means to have a relationship with God. I'm seeing God just work through me, and it's just invigorating my faith and giving me such a sense of growth and development, progress, and it's so exciting to experience God in these ways. <laughs> and then there's the other kind of stories, too. And that is encouraging uh, people like this to talk about the struggles they're having and what they're learning through those as well, where they're able to tell you about how they've tried new things and, and not seen the success they'd hoped for, how they've endeavored to go down new paths and maybe been thwarted in those advancements. But you get the idea. Getting people to talk about even those kinds of negative experiences may also be an expression of them telling you how they're growing even through the difficulty. So one of the ways that you can Create a Climate for Motivation is by helping people to understand how their volunteer service will contribute to their personal growth, helping them to become more like Jesus. By experiencing God in fresh ways, by learning new things about him, by having their character or their skills transformed, and even by going through hard times and learning from those, they can find growth as a part of their volunteer process. Now, another aspect of this, as I said, is motivation by personal contribution. It's helping people understand that they are doing something that really does advance God's kingdom. Now, how can you help create this kind of environment? Well, first of all, do it by clearly connecting the work you're asking people to do with the overarching progress of the, toward the mission of your church and, more importantly, the mission of God's kingdom. It's important to help everyone understand they have a, a role in the overall work and the overall accomplishment a church is doing and that, you can, that they can plug in in various and different ways, but they're all vital parts of the team. I'll give you one example of a church that I saw do this very well. This particular church had a strong outreach component into their community where they were reaching significant numbers of people with the gospel and seeing probably uh, 50 to 75 new adults come to faith in Jesus and come into their church every year. Now this was not a huge church, just a church of two, 300 people. And so this was a large number of people they were reaching in proportion to the number of people that were already members. They had this strategy by which they were going into the community that involved a number of people working in a team approach to reaching new people. For example, they would have on the team uh, two people who would actually go out and visit in people's homes and try to share the gospel with them directly. They would have two or more people assigned to that team whose job it was to pray for the team itself and pray specifically for the people that they were trying to reach they would have a couple of other people assigned to the team that were responsible for child care for the team. So that when the team was involved in these outreach activities, uh, the children that were involved on the team would all be at someone's home and there'd be child care providers that were on the team that were caring for the team members' children while they were involved in these projects on a weekly basis. And then... There was another uh, group of people that were kind of the materials people on a team. Uh, they were the people who got together what was needed, whether it was an outreach visitation or there was a project they were doing together, whatever. They were the materials people that pulled the whole thing together. Every one of these teams in the church had about eight to ten people on it. Okay, so that's the first line, the first group that was described to me. And then I saw that there was even beyond that a second layer of involvement of many people in the process. And here's what they would do. On a Sunday, when the pastor would introduce new members, he would say, this is uh, my friend John Smith, who's come recently to place his faith in Jesus Christ, and he wants to be baptized and become a member of our church. And then he would say, if you're on the outreach team that visited in John's home and supported the work that did that, would you just please stand up? And people would stand up around the auditorium. And then he would say, if you ever taught John in a Sunday school class or talked with him or sat with him while he was visiting here in our church building, and you met him and befriended him while he was here on the campus, would you just stand up please as well? And more people would stand up. And then he'd say, now, if you uh, ever taught John's children in Sunday school or cared for them in the preschool or nursery area while he was in our worship service, uh, if you've ever done that, would you just please stand up? And now here's more people standing up. Well, now there'd be 10, 15, 20, 30 people standing up. And here's John standing at the front, seeing all these people stand up around the room. And then the pastor would say, John, you see all these people standing, and church, you see all these people standing. Every one of us had a hand in your commitment today and in helping you come to this place where you became a public follower of Jesus and want to become a part of our church. And we celebrate everyone who had a part in this great decision today. And then every time they went through this, every Sunday, the pastor would go through this kind of litany of recognition as a part of show, uh, people making public a new commitment to Jesus Christ. What do you think that did for the motivation level in the church? It soared. It soared. Not because people got a certificate or even they got a check or people got, recogni- or people got a, 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 a plaque or anything like that. All they got to do was stand up in a worship service but that was motivation enough because they got to look around and say, I'm part of the team. I'm part of the effort. I'm a prayer warrior. I'm a child care provider. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a personal visitation person that goes out into people's homes. I'm a materials provider. I get the background work done so the rest of the team can function. Everybody worked together to make it happen. And by the pastor recognizing people like this in a worship service, it created a sense that everyone was involved in it and everyone was a part Of the team. You know, one of the things I think we do to our detriment is we recruit people to volunteer responsibilities and they're sort of isolated tasks. You be the parking lot greeter, you be the child care security person, uh, you sing in the choir, uh, you uh, mow the grass on Saturday, you prepare the Sunday bulletins. And people do those tasks because they in some sense feel like, well, they need to be done and I'm willing to do them and I get a little bit of fulfillment because I think I'm helping out some, that maybe the pastor needs a break and I'm giving him one, that's not enough motivation. How can you help connect all those activities to fulfilling the mission and vision of your church and even more importantly, ultimately fulfilling the mission and vision of God's kingdom of more people being made as disciples? That's one way to do it. Another way to create this kind of climate is getting volunteers to tell their stories or tell each other's stories of how God is using them or how God is using others to make a difference in the lives of people and to make a contribution to the overall mission uh, of the church. And then just like I said on the first part, another final way to do this is to allow volunteers to talk openly about their struggles while volunteering and the growth that has had to take place in solving those problems and getting through those difficulties. So. Here's what we've said so far. There are good biblical and theological reasons to depend on volunteers to empower the ministry of a church. And I know today that many pastors complain of the highest levels of apathy and lack of commitment they've ever observed. Well, we got to confront that. And the way we confront that is not by laying on a guilt trip or by more prophetic preaching or trying to shame people into doing something. The way to do that is to create a climate of motivation whereby people come to understand that through the volunteer responsibilities you're asking them to take, they will have personal growth and make a personal contribution. And those two things unlock the key to motivation in the hearts of Christians. Now, finally, let's talk about what it means to recruit and place volunteers. This is counterintuitive, what I'm about to say, but it's true. A lot of leaders think, well, you really can't ask a volunteer to do much. You just need to ask them to do a little task and not make too much of a commitment and it won't take too much time and there's really not much involved and you might get them to do it. That is exactly backwards. Exactly backwards. Volunteers want four things when asked to take on a responsibility. They want to know, first of all, what is the job description? Second, They want to know, what is the time commitment? Third, what training opportunities will I receive? And fourth, what's the supervisory structure that I'm going to have? Now you say, you mean every volunteer wants those four things? Every single one of them. If you're asking a person to take on a volunteer responsibility, no matter how large or no matter how small, that person needs these four things. A job description a time commitment, a training opportunity, and a supervisory structure. Now, let's talk about each one of these just for a moment. When you give a volunteer a job description, that does not mean that it has to look like something that was created to satisfy the legal demands or legal dimensions of uh, the state where you live or the federal government or anything like that. We're not talking about hiring an HR specialist to write job descriptions for volunteers. It may be just two or three sentences. The job is this. And in order to fulfill it, you need to do these three things. One, two, three, four. Write out what you're asking the volunteer to do. And then when you write it out, look at it and ask, is this realistic? Can a person actually do this? Uh, Have I got this scaled to the time availability of the people in my community? And that'll help you if you have an accurate and realistic job description when you write it out to understand what you're really asking people to do then the job description should produce something of a a time commitment or a time expectation. Are you asking a person for an hour a week, for five hours a week? Are you asking them for a certain amount of time every week or uh, every month or on a periodic basis? What exactly are you asking people to commit to do? Uh, Recently, I've had this experience. I was asked to take on a new volunteer responsibility in the church where I'm a member. And what were my first two questions? I said to the pastor, What exactly does the job entail? And second, what kind of time commitment are you expecting from me? Volunteers need to know what the job entails and what kind of time it will take to do it effectively. And then training opportunities. You may say, well, you want me to send them all to seminary? Well, not necessarily. What kind of training opportunities? It might be a one-hour orientation that you give someone into how to do a job. It might be bringing them into your office and giving them a couple of hours to observe someone who's already doing the task and showing them by cross-training what you need to have done. It may be involving them in a six-week or a 12-week program in your church to take them through an extended study of how to teach children or how to manage a youth ministry or how to participate in in the worship program. The jobs and the time and the training need to kind of all go together. Obviously, a job that's requiring one hour a week is not going to require 50 hours of training. It's probably going to require about 30 minutes of training, but nevertheless, it needs to be done. And then finally, supervisory structures. In other words, who do I call when I can't show up? Who's going to be my boss when things go wrong? Whenever I have a question or need some assistance or some additional materials or even some resourcing, who do I go to? Supervisory structure. So... These four things are needed for effectively creating a climate of motivation for volunteers. If you're a leader who thinks, well, the only way you can get volunteers to do anything is just make it nebulous, don't ask for too much, uh, throw them out there and see how they can do, and don't worry about their supervisor because it's not going to stay around that long. That's exactly what you're going to get. But if you'll take out a piece of paper and write a three- or four-sentence job description, put down on that same piece of paper the time commitment that you're expecting them to make, Lay out some training that you're willing to give them and show them who's going to be their supervisor, what department they report to, or who they call when they've got a problem. And you sit down with a volunteer and say, this is what I'm asking you to do. It's important work. It matters to God's mission and the mission of our church. I'm asking you to take on this responsibility specifically and to fulfill it. You'll find that people will make a higher level of commitment from the beginning and be less apathetic and more motivated to fulfill the volunteer tasks we need done. Well, there is no question, apathy is a problem in local church ministry, and it is harder today, it seems, to get people committed to taking on volunteer responsibilities. We can do a better job if we'll lay out a plan like I've described here at the end and focus not so much on trying to motivate people as creating a climate of motivation whereby people feel like they're going to grow spiritually and make a personal contribution if in that context they find themselves doing ministry, you will find a much more highly motivated workforce. You can do it. Thanks for listening today. Lead on. As a way of thanking you for listening to Lead On, we'd like to give you one of my new books, Shadow Christians, Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name. I've signed 10 of these and we're giving them away to the first 10 people who contact us at gs.edu backslash shadow go to that website make connection with us we'll send you a free book